the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we hear in the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 19, our Lord enters in His triumphant entry into Jerusalem that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. But when He enters in on this day, we're told something very significant, many things really, but one thing we'll focus on today. When our Lord came into the city of Jerusalem, we're told that He wept over His people Jerusalem. Our Lord wept over the people of Jerusalem for the condition of their souls. <clears throat> Let's ask ourselves just a question as even we enter into these reflections this morning. As we look upon this current world, as we look upon our culture around us in its current state, the direction that we know that it's heading, when we look at the world outside of the kingdom of God, what lens do we see it through? How do we see it? Something that might help is to think about what responds within us when we see all the things going on in the world around us. The insanity, the craziness, the disorders, and all of these things. What wells up within us? We find ourselves becoming angry at the way that our culture is going. We find ourselves maybe in a little bit of disgust at what we're seeing and all the things that are going on around us in, in dismay. Is it presenting to us a little bit of unrest and disquietude, lack of peace in our own soul based on the way that we're seeing all of these things? My friend, I tell you the reality that there's always part of us, I believe, even as I look at myself. There's always part of us that doesn't have the correct lens with which to take a look at the culture outside of the kingdom of God. And by adjusting that lens and taking on the one that is correct, our hearts would respond much more rightly and contently. And we would take our place truly as Christians regarding all that's going on around us. Because the antidote to our blurry focus in some ways as to the way that we see the world outside of the kingdom of God is to truly grow in becoming participators in the very nature of Christ our God. And by that I mean this, that we participate in his nature towards those who deny him, who outright reject him, and who move totally against him and his kingdom in this world. That we see them from the heart of Christ and the heart of God. And this is what we explore today. Because we see something very clearly in the response of our Lord to his people. Again, in Luke 19, the triumphal entry. Remember this incredible scene? He enters into Jerusalem and the people are lining the streets. And they're putting down the palm branches and many other types of branches. And even articles of clothing lining the way. The people were filling the streets as he processed through. And they were crying out what he'd longed to bring to them. They were crying out, Hosanna. And what does Hosanna mean, Lord, save? Precisely the reason that he came. It was a wondrous day. And an incredible sight. If you can only picture Jerusalem, quite frankly, as small as it is, so stuffed to the full with people on that day crying out, Hosanna. But then the Pharisees show up on the scene. 
And again, as normal, they reject the joy and the wonder of that day. As they go to our Lord Jesus Christ, they say to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for all of this. Rebuke them. The Pharisees once again demonstrating their absolute blindness as to all of the truth and reality that was right before their very eyes on this day. Listen to our Lord's response to them. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near to Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. And then listen to what he says in his weeping. It's very telling. Jerusalem, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept over the spiritual condition of his people, God's people, because he knew all that he had come into Jerusalem, indeed into this world, to offer them for their lives, for their salvation, to draw them near to God. But he also knew that in just a few short days, all of them would reject him entirely. And not only would they reject him, they would have the one killed who was the offerer of life everlasting. He wept because he had come to offer them everything of his kingdom, to restore absolute peace in their souls and union with God. And it caused God pain that they would reject him. We have got to get this. It caused our Lord pain that they would reject all of the benefits of the kingdom of God and his salvation. And it wasn't just the rejection. The pain was in Christ because he knew that in rejecting him, their lives would continue in the great sufferings of the results of the fall of man. Our Lord ached over them. You know, there's another gospel passage where we see our Lord weep over the condition of people. And it's when just before he raises Lazarus from the dead, we have the shortest verse in the Bible that simply says, Jesus wept. Well, what was the cause of his weeping? I want you to hear Bishop Potamius of Lisbon. He was in the mid-300s, I believe. Listen to why he said God wept, because I believe he really sums up many teachings of the fathers. He said God wept. Not because he learned that the young man had died. God wept because human nature had fallen to such an extent that after being expelled from eternity, it had come to love the lower world. God wept because those who could be immortal, the devil made mortal. God wept because those who he had rewarded with every benefit and had placed under his power, those whom he had set in paradise among flowers and lilies without any hardship, the devil, by teaching them sin, exiled them from almost every delight. God wept because those whom he had created innocent, the devil through his wickedness caused to be found guilty. Christ our God is weeping because souls are suffering outside of the paradise of his kingdom. And by rejecting him, they will continue in that same suffering and it will grow worse in their lives. You know, it's a profound, a profound and moving thing, a wonder 
and a mystery that we really need to grow in the knowledge of, that God weeps over the condition of men. You heard the sentiment of this, the cry, when you heard the reading from Matins this morning, where God, speaking of the prophets, and he was speaking through the prophets then, said, O Jerusalem, how I had longed to gather you to myself. And what's the lament? Their adultery towards him. They're pushing him aside and going their own way. The lamenting heart of God over those who reject him and in doing so accept further the sufferings of the fall of man and the sin nature within themselves. He's weeping because God is the infinite offerer of life and ordered life abundant. And he's weeping because the world rejects it. The world rejects it. And he's weeping because he knows that leads to that torturous, diminished condition that every soul absolutely will endure in a life outside of himself. What we're seeing here in the heart of Christ our God, his lens, his perspective, his divine nature toward all outside of the kingdom of God is we're seeing the depth of the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The heart of God over the condition of those he creates and loves so intimately and longs for. And let's always remember when we say compassion, let's make sure we're in line with what the true compassion of Christ is. We see it clearly in the Gospel of St. Matthew in chapter 14. It's one of my favorite examples of the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ for a people who are suffering. Because it was at this time that our Lord Jesus Christ had just found out of the death of St. John the Forerunner, his chosen, his beloved, his relative, the one who prepared the hearts to receive the kingdom of God that he had come to bring. John had just died. And that same time, because he finds that out, he feeds the 5,000 plus, that's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And he ministers to them and he heals their diseases and he casts out the demonic. And at the end of that day, we find our Lord entirely exhausted, emotionally, physically. Christ our God is exhausted. And we're told that he gets into the, to a boat and departs on the Sea of Galilee alone. And to go and be alone. And as he crosses the Sea of Galilee, he sees the people he just left begin to walk around the shores of the Sea of Galilee following him. And not only that, people from all the villages, we're told, were constantly still coming out to see him. And I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and it's more like a little lake. I've been right in the middle. This is what came to my mind because I could actually see. Jesus would have been able to see the crowds following him. And when he gets to the other side, the place where he had desired rest, as he steps off the boat, there is the throng of people in deep need. And our Lord Jesus Christ could have looked at them and said, camp out here tonight. Let me go rest the evening. Let me come back in the morning and I will continue ministering to you. This is not what happens on the scene. We're told that when our Lord Jesus Christ saw them, he had compassion on them and continued to heal their sick and cast out the demonic from them, restoring order and peace to their lives. 
You see, the compassion of God is more than feeling sorry for a people. More than simply having pity for a people and then going on and resting and getting back to them later. The compassionate nature of God is this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he beheld them, there was an aching, a pain, so much inside, in his interior, over the condition of the ones that he saw before them, that he was absolutely moved to alleviate their condition, to heal, to redeem, to care for them. In fact, the fathers put it this way. They say that that compassion, they go to the extent of saying, it, his bowels within him, all of his internal organs were aching. There was that type of pain in our Lord Jesus Christ that was gut-wrenching over the suffering of people. And it was that pain within him that moved him to action. And both of those define his compassion. The aching of the true condition. The sorrow, the mourning, the lamenting over a condition that God never intended in this world. The compassion has to act. There is no compassion with mere feeling alone as strong as it may be. Our Lord has compassion and acts on their behalf. Are you beginning to see the lens in which our Lord Jesus Christ sees the world in all of its calamity? In all of its disorders, in all of its sufferings that's causing so many uprisings of turmoil, are you beginning to see the heart of compassion that is in the Lord your God that weeps over the condition of man? Because if we will grow in this compassion, if through prayer and fellowship with God, we truly are becoming like him in his nature in this, towards this culture, Indeed, this culture that is rapidly, maybe not even saying becoming, has become so anti-Christ. If we take on his nature, then perhaps we'll respond very differently when we see all of it. When we behold all of it. When we experience all of it dashing all over the place in this world. Perhaps our unrighteous anger might diminish a bit. Disgust won't even be in the scene. Because our Lord Jesus Christ is pained and loves. Yes, disgusted with the condition, but not disgusted at the people. A big difference. Perhaps our angst and our tension will subside within us. Because when we see the world through the lens of the true nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God, it will move us to take place, take our place in doing what Christ our God is infinitely and eternally doing now in his position of great high priest and mediator and advocate. We will take our place with him, mediating and advocating on behalf of all of those who are suffering the disorders outside of the kingdom of God. It will be in great fervent prayer. What we will be doing is taking our place and making an offering to God when we gather together at this altar and an offering to God in the altars of our homes and the altar going to the altar of God everywhere we are when we see this suffering and making a prayer offering to God. Standing between them like the high priests of old were commanded to Remember, we've talked about this recently. They stood between porch and altar weeping. 
They stood between the people and God, weeping over the condition, and even weeping of their own condition, mourning that which was in themselves. We will be truly become the high priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ if we'll grow in this nature to God and offer the world back to God in prayer. That is your true vocation. And when we walk in that true vocation, nothing in this world knocks us off our rocker. Nothing in this world has us wavered because we're stable and secure in Christ and from Christ and being the true personhood he has made us to be. We must ask ourselves again, what's the lens through which we see this world? Because when our lens is off of its true focus, my friends, we're doing no more than responding to this world the way that the world responds to itself. And that does us no good, and it certainly does them no good. Where is the light of the nature of God in that response? How will they ever see that, experience it through us? But if we take on the nature of God, and we weep as he weeps, weeps and share in his mourning over the condition of man. Then from that will come the great prayer that we are all called to be about. We will find ourselves at peace and perhaps in Christ and from Christ. Many of them will come out of their disorders into his order and peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.